Hey, thank you to Helix for sponsoring this podcast. Adam has had his Helix mattress for almost a year now, and he's loving it. It's it's actually hard to get him up. In fact, he won't stop talking about it. You'll understand what we mean when he goes into detail. Thank you for the detail, Adam, later on the episode. But for now, we want to tell our listeners about a special deal going on. Our Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and... As if that's not enough, two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet, and I'll bet it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. Tonight, on June 27, 2015, Bree Newsom Bass scaled the flagpole on the South Carolina state grounds and removed the Confederate flag that was flying there. The resulting publicity propelled officials to lower the Confederate flag permanently. Bree is on our show tonight to talk about our nation's symbols, her current work on housing rights, and just how do you get up a flagpole anyway? Plus, how are we doing in the American minor outlying islands? Let's put it this way. We have a listener. If you think you've heard that introduction before, you're correct. We were going to get to that on the things we haven't gotten around to during COVID show, and we didn't get around to it. But we will tonight, because COVID is totally behind us, right? I'm Adam Felber, the man who tries every week to steer our show through the minor outlying islands of distraction to the port of coherency. And now, please welcome the woman who grabs the wheel of conversation and sets our course on a parlous voyage to the minor outlying islands of loquacity, Paula Poundstone. Yeah. Hey, you guys. Hey. hey. Hi, Paula. Uh, Hey, everybody, and hey, Adam, and thanks so much to tonight's house band, Nobody Sophie Taft Lehman from Iowa City on the electric viola. Thanks, Sophie. Hey. <laughs> 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 uh, oh, yes. Oh, by the way, Sophie Taft Lehman is also a multi-instrumentalist. We had to narrow it down to, to the electric viola for tonight's show. Oh, is that true? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, Paula, um, we've got something super exciting happening, a new contest with a fabulous prize for our listeners. You want to you wanna break it down for everybody? Yes. Uh, first of all, we are giving away with this contest the opportunity to uh, have a Zoom call because everyone loves Zoom calls. Who doesn't? Uh, with 100 uh, of the winning listeners' friends with me and Adam. Uh, and if you don't have 100 friends, A, join the club. Uh, there's hundreds of us. And B, uh, as many friends as you want, up to 100. We'll Here's, show up anyway. Yeah, <laughs> we'll be there. So that's two. Um, it's the Spot the Vocabulary Word contest. And here's how it works. During this show, we're all, that's me, uh, Bonnie, uh, you know, everybody on the show, we're all going to use that's, vocabulary Me and Tony words. are the only ones you didn't <laughs> mention in that. Well, I was thinking, no, like Mike Boom Boom Bonifit. Oh, like the callers. Right. Oh, he counts. You okay. know, all the participants, uh, we're all going to use vocabulary words at some random points of the show. And 
we'll, we'll just throw in um, vocabulary words that we've been learning for, I don't know, months and months on this show. Uh, now, astute listeners will know that we've already used a couple. The first person to identify all the vocabulary words that were used in this show wins that Zoom call with me and Adam and up to a hundred of your friends. And I hope it doesn't go to somebody who has to tell a lot of friends no. Um, you just have yeah. to be the first person to email us the list of all the vocabulary words we'll use during tonight's show. Email your list to us at nobodylistenstopilotpoundstone at gmail.com and please put in your subject line. It needs to say uh, vocabulary contest in the subject line. Wow. So, Paula, just to recap, or should I say to engage in a tautology, during tonight's show, keep track of all the vocabulary words you hear us use. Email that list to nobody listens to Paul and Poundstone at gmail.com. Use as a subject line vocabulary contest, and the first email we receive with the complete list of vocabulary words that we used on tonight's show wins a Zoom call with you and me and up to a hundred of your friends. Now, here's a question, Paula. What about the vocabulary song itself? Does that count? Yep. Yep. Every vocabulary word counts. So every word that's a vocabulary word from this show that we use counts towards this exciting contest. That is correct. All right, Paula. <laughs> Adam, Adam, in fact, I do have a word. Uh, uh -huh. I, I do have a word for this crazy week. It's gaucherie. It's Ooh. a noun that means awkward or unsophisticated ways. Uh, here, I'll use it in a sentence. Uh, my language, khaki shorts, and unshaven legs have been called gaucherie. In fact, I have such a collection of gaucherie, I could hawk it from a booth on Venice Beach. <laughs> now, Paula, let me ask you a question. What is the... Usage-wise, when would you use gaucherie and when would you use gauche? You know, Adam, you're going to have to ask somebody over in the usage department. I really just generate the words. I don't. That's right. Uh, uh, Tony Nita Hull, you now have a new job. You're now our usage department. <laughs> um, I believe gauche is an adjective, whereas gaucherie is the gauche thing. Oh, so you might say, oh, that's so gauche. But you might say, oh, that's a gaucherie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. She, she has a lot of gaucherie, uh, meaning she has many things that fall into the gaucherie category. That's how I would say right. it. That's, that's well, just like that, know. Tony Anita Hall, the usage department's been taken away from you. No, no, I'm sure I need backup. Uh, you know, Tony, she's Googling right now. She's, she's madly Googling. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You know, I I do have a tremendous amount of gaucherie, but I also have a tremendous talent on the glockenspiel. Uh, so here uh, is my vocabulary song. Here we go. This week's word is gaucherie. It's a noun that means awkward or unsophisticated ways. I haven't used a napkin in days. Last week's word was disputatious. <laughs> it's an adjective that means fond of or causing heated arguments. Fuck you, I don't want your two cents. The week before that, we had inveigle. It's a verb that means persuade someone to do something by deception or flattery. I love you, Mom. Will you buy me a new phone battery? Going back before that, we had revivify. It's a verb that means give new life 
force strength to someone or something. It happens when you eat a ring ding. And not long ago, we had parlous. It's an adjective from old use or humor. It means dangerously uncertain, precarious, like a maskless idiot with a virus. Let's never forget Gallimaufry, which I pronounced wrong until nobody James Hyder corrected me. It's a noun that means confused jumble or medley of things. Hodgepodge. Who's Podge? Hodgepodge. Adam doesn't think my song is replicable, 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 but I do, I do, I do. Woo! Nice! Yeah! Fantastic. And despite its place in the song, replicable is not actually a vocabulary word. No, replicable is not a vocabulary word. It's just a word just let, that let you used. Know. Yeah, you didn't. Yes, you didn't painstakingly seek it from the dictionary. You just used it in a critical way uh, towards my work. I did. I did. Back then was before you became a Glockenspiel virtuoso. I will point out. Yeah. In fact, it's a it's a subject that you've been uh, obdurate on. You think so? All right. Oh, about my song not being replicable? Oh, yeah. You used to say it all the time. I mean, you kind of gave it up once I put the words into the song, but before that, it was your song. Okay. Well, that's fine. I think it was about six months ago that I said I, I'm finding your song kind of replicable at this point, even though the lyrics change every single week. Yeah. I believe you did finally accept that it was an effective song. And then that night, you got a rash. Yeah, but, you know, that's a small matter for me. I get rashes whenever I have to admit anything. I think, in general, I handled it with a plum. <laughs> I, I think so. Just so you guys know, rash is not a vocabulary word. Um, are, I, hey, hey, are Tony and Bonnie even there? Yeah, I should get to that. Now, um, we had this vocabulary thing up top, so we, we, we had to ignore the most important and exciting part of the show, which is when we <laughs> check in with our cast of characters who always have some new goodie to drop on us to, for discussion. So let's go around the horn and say hi to, to, to um, Bonnie Burns and Tony Anita Hull. Let's start with you, Bonnie Burns, up in the Simi Valley. How are things? Uh, Hello. Hey, Bonnie. <laughs> it's good to talk to you guys. Hey, Bonnie. Good yeah. to talk to you. Captain Crinkle. <laughs> uh, listen, I uh, I have to crepitate to keep my name up. All right. <laughs> yeah, Good, there good you crepitation go. there. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... What's on the hot see. seat, Bonnie Burns? What's in the hot seat? Well, okay... The other couple of shows ago, we had a cheesemonger on, and her name was Carly Lisk, and she mentioned a cheese that the monks made. They stopped importing it into the United States because we had too many rules, but she said that there was a great cheese that was just as good in Northern California. So my daughter and I, you know how I am an opsimath, and we decided to have a new experience, and it was a lot easier than going to Lamasery. And we ordered the cheese that the woman recommended. It's called the Point Reyes Toma. And it came. It's I've never had what they call an artisan cheese. It was so good. And now I think I'll never be able to go back to store-bought cheese. I mean, honestly, you guys, it was so good great 
Wow. wow. Now, was this this was a, a nice soft cheese, right? Or a, a, yes, it was soft, like semi soft, and they it came packed all a hundred percent recyclable, hundred percent, and they included great printed materials that told the whole story of how how they'd come from Italy and how many acres their cows were on and you know, wow. how they made the cheese. And it really did make a difference to know the story. And they even included a little pin that that has like a little scene of their place in Northern California. It was so cool. And we actually found just a tip for anybody who wants to do it. We looked on Amazon and then we actually went to the website of the Point Reyes place and it was way cheaper at the Point Reyes place. Wow. Mm. Good to you know. know yeah. I, what what I'm struck by is that it was another mother daughter project for them. <laughs> it wasn't, you know, they they went to some place on the computer together. That's a beautiful outing. Uh, it's a COVID outing. And wait, here's a good part. I actually read my daughter from the transcript of the show, so I was telling her about the the different cheeses that the woman talked about uh-huh. and telling her about this cheese. And then we decided we'd order this cheese. And in reading the transcripts were some of Paula's jokes. And my daughter goes, that Paula is really funny. Oh, boy. You guys should get more cheese together. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm just giving you the whole mother-daughter experience. It's a giant it's- step forward. Because if you remember, about a year ago, the last big project you did with your daughter was... Um, you made homemade butterfingers for me and Paula, <laughs> and uh, if I'm not mistaken, Ivy lost interest and wandered off, and you yeah. went ahead to finish up making the most legendarily shitty candy ever made. Yeah, well, yeah. there you go. Okay, I I feel a little bad for talking out of class this way, but I'm going to do it anyways, which is, uh, so I was talking to Bonnie Burns the other day, and, uh, she, you know, we were oh. just talking about work. And she said, she said she had a couple of things on her list of difficult things to talk to me about. She, she what? Keeps, yeah, apparently she keeps a list of difficult things to talk to me about. And then she sort of sprinkles one or so in. And uh, I happen to have, well, with the use of a drone, I got to look at the list and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one of the things was just you suck. Um, that was one of the things, which apparently was difficult to broach. Uh, and so she's put that one off. Another one was you don't make any money at all. That was uh, that one very hard to uh, talk about. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, one of them was you're looking a little jowly around the butt. That was... <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's, yeah. I don't know so why the, she'd even feel the need to bring that up with you. I well, she hadn't see, I just keep in mind she hasn't yet brought any of these up. These were on the this list. Is just the list. Yeah. Okay. Meant she hasn't had the right moment to um you know, because I think she likes to go like sweet salt, sweet salt. <laughs> so yeah, I got you. She, she's waiting until there's a couple more good things to say to me. Like the thing about her daughter thinking I was funny. Then right. That's a that's a strong sweet thing to say. So there's probably a powerful like uh, you know why the fuck don't yeah, you shave your legs yeah. coming up? Yeah, uh, no, I, I I might deploy that one right before jelly butt. 
Uh, anyways, Tony, I know that Bonnie goes through her list with you every day, so uh, <laughs> she, she doesn't Tony keep need anything a from you. From Studio just, City, what do you got for us? Just skip me. Just skip me. Um, no! <laughs> no. <laughs> I went to the dentist. That was exciting. Really? I didn't even know people. Yeah, you weren't available for hours. <laughs> I know. Put that on the list. <laughs> just put that on the list. Um. <laughs> Tony, I didn't even know people could go to the dentist now. My dentist is open. She worked by herself and worked quickly. It was oh. impressive. She had uh-huh. no help. No more dental assistance. Well, denti- dentists already wear masks, right? It, yeah, she was wearing a mask and a face shield. So. Oh, and a face huh. shield. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Did you go to Jennifer Beals? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I wish she was my dentist. Was she a maniac? <laughs> God, Tony, help me. did you notice her shoulders were exposed <laughs> from the top of her sweatshirt? <laughs> Oh my God! You went to the Star of Flash dance. Just a steel town girl on a Friday night, oh turning cavities into teeth. <laughs> I, I can't. I'm nonplussed. <laughs> oh boy, we've. You know what? We've had a lot. I mean, in our on this podcast, not just today, but in general. We have had a lot of uh, vocabulary words, and yet I have to confess, my my vocabulary seems just stuck in first gear, so to speak. Oh, I think uh, it's improving, and you're just not seeing it because it, it's like when you get strong and you work out, you don't know your own strength, and one day, Paula, you're gonna you're gonna crush somebody with that vocabulary. Well, of course, uh, uh, my uh, uh, Captain Culpepper uh, dying of tyrotoxism. Tyro- uh, is something that came up as a result of the vocabulary word. Uh, so that's a, a vocabulary word oh. right there. Look at that. It's, 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 it's Mrs. Culpepper, our favorite Southern Belle um, hand puppet. Um, usually it takes us time to draw out the uh, the cause of your husband's death, but you're saying it was tyrotoxism, huh? It was uh, tyro, tyrotoxism. Tyrotoxism. Yeah. Uh, Poisoning um, from cheese. Uh, uh, other dairy products, but specifically it was the good of the garden. Now that you mention it, Adam Felber. <laughs> well, that was quick. Well, um, it, yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty. but in future, when you're serving cheese to your husband, uh, Mrs. Culpepper, you might want to stick with the artisan cheeses. I will not truckle to him. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, we are wearing out our listeners. Coming up... <laughs> Tadahisi Code says, when I see the Confederate flag, I see the attempt to raise an empire in slavery. It really is that simple. I don't understand how anybody with any sort of education on the Civil War can see anything else. Well, Bree Newsome Bass is here to talk about how she got South Carolina to lower its Confederate battle flag. That's coming up when we return on Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. <laughs> Hey, Paula, it's been almost a year now since I got my Helix mattress. And as you remember, there was some drama surrounding Helix mattresses. Because when Helix first sponsored us, Bonnie took the mattress and she's been loving it. But finally, I got my chance to get a Helix mattress and I sleep so well. I mean, the family bed is where we all gather. We watch movies in, in our room occasionally and everybody just piles on it and it it's comfy. And yet when one person hops on, the other half of the mattress doesn't fly up. I'm a fan. 
Well, you know, Adam, everybody is unique and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side. Models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions plus enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It is the perfect combination of comfort and support. I agree with that last bit. I don't get all the technical stuff about the mattress, but it is soft and supportive. Helix offers 20 unique mattresses, the award-winning Lux, which I got, and ultra-premium Elite Collections, the Helix Plus, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and the Helix Kids mattress designed for growing bodies and endorsed by child sleep experts, and my daughter now wants one. So, how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You go to their website, take the Helix Sleep Quiz, and you find your perfect mattress batch in under two minutes. You know, when you said you can't follow all the technical stuff, it's really not that technical. You know, uh, no matter what way you sleep, they have a mattress that will support and comfort you. How hard is that? Uh, you know, when you say it that way, it seems a lot simpler. I take it back. That's my boner. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door, free of charge. And Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Well, I like that there's a warranty, but they can pry that mattress from my cold, dead hands. I took the sleep quiz. I was matched with the Helix Midnight Lux. I got the Lux. And I love it. It is such an upgrade from my old mattress. You know, I think Bonnie got the Midnight Lux. She did. Too. Yeah. You're not here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to take Adam's word for it? Well, you got Bonnie's word. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Your Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. That's a lot, and it's already not that expensive a mattress. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet. It's fantastic. It won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Well, not right now. And if you're going to get it anyway, use our code. On this day in unremarkable history, Dave Clark said, Because there's five of us? <laughs> Thank you, house band Sophie Taft Lehman. Oh, Sophie on the viola. Yeah, yeah, Iowa City is heating up. Thanks, Sophie. It sounds great. Now, Paula, I know that uh, you and I are both admirers of what Brie Newsom Bass did back in 2015. Uh, I loved her act of civil disobedience. And, you know, I never liked the presence of the Confederate flag, and I had certainly said so before. But I guess, to my dying shame, I had sort of accepted it as something that there was nothing uh, could be done about. And you know what? I was wrong. And I am so grateful for her 
activism. Amen. She's a filmmaker, musician, and activist who was arrested for removing the Confederate flag from the South Carolina State House grounds in the aftermath of the Charleston shooting. As a result of her activism, state officials were pressured to remove the flag, and it was taken down permanently on July 10, 2015. She is currently an advocate for housing rights. Please welcome to the show, Bree Newsom Bass. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. We're so glad you're here, Bree. Yeah, Bree, thank you again for your activism. It's inspiring. Um, and I have a question for you. So, by the way, I have something I have to confess, which is I sometimes confuse South Carolina with North Carolina. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah. You got to be careful doing that in these parts. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think I've only worked in South Carolina maybe one time, whereas I've worked in um, North Carolina many, many times. But, you know, they have similar names, in fairness to me. Um, so right, but they, they, they're pretty clear about the direction. Yeah, but how do you know when you're, you know, you don't know. Uh, uh, I'm not, uh, compass head, thank you. Um, so here's a question of something that, again, I just... You know, the year 2020 is a couple of things. One thing is it's uncertain. But another thing it is, is a year where things are starting to sort of shift and break apart in a way that it just never occurred to me was possible. So I wanted to know, when you were growing up, did you grow up in North Carolina? I was actually born in North Carolina, but grew up in Maryland would spend all of my time, like all of my summers in North Carolina and South Carolina. Oh, all right. So when you were in South Carolina, were you aware of the Confederate flag? Like, for example, for example, here it, it, down the end of Wilshire Boulevard near the ocean, there's a statue. I couldn't tell you who it's a statue of. You know what I mean? You know how there there are things and they're just around and you don't really think about them. They're just there. So growing up, were you affected by the fact of the Confederate flag being there? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. So even though, you know, I I told you I was born in North Carolina and grew up in Maryland, my family is from South Carolina. My grandmother was born in Greenville, South Carolina in 1926. And she actually, I actually grew up with her because she would come and stay with us like during the school year and kind of help my mom out with things. So, you know, I grew up hearing about her experiences, you know, in Mm -hmm. the South, um, witnessing the Ku Klux Klan firsthand. And of Mm -hmm. course, like we were all aware of the Confederate flag. That flag was raised in the 60s. Um, there mm-hmm. in South Carolina, really as a statement of opposition to the civil rights movement. So it was always, you know, a huge controversy. Um, anytime we were there in the state capitol, it was just something everybody was always aware of and, you know, were mm-hmm. offended by. And then in the year 2000, you know, they reached this uh kind of compromise, somewhat of a compromise, and moved the flag from the dome of the Capitol where it was originally to the lawn, where it was at the Mm -hmm. time that I took it down. And even at that point, it was like a major, you know, controversy because they wrote into law that the flag couldn't be lowered for any reason unless there was a two-thirds approval um, in the state house. They also built another Confederate monument uh, right next to it. That, That monument is actually still there. Um, Mm -hmm. on the Capitol ground. So it was something that, you know, growing up, I was always aware of and always aware of, you know, what it symbolized and and the history behind it. Right. 
I mean, I think that's a point that some people still miss, which is that a lot of this flag raising and monument building didn't happen in in the wake of the Civil War. It happened exactly. as a direct response to uh, to the civil rights movement. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, most of these things were erected like either during the Reconstruction era, you know, um, that was mm-hmm. when a lot of these monuments went up. And the whole point of putting these things up was to drive home the message that even though the Confederacy had lost the war, right, white supremacy was still the order of the day in the South. Um, and so uh, still today, in in many in front of like many courthouses throughout the South, you will see this same Confederate uh, soldier statue, um, right. and they huh. they were very strategic in terms of where they placed these monuments and statues. Uh, so, did you plan your assault on the Confederate flag? And I'm so glad they took it down from the dome because it would have made your task harder. Yeah, a um, little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you plan it, or was it spontaneous? How did it come about? You know, this this was definitely planned. Um, so it it came together in about the course of of a week because it was just about ten days between the shootings in Charleston and and when I scaled the pole there. Um, I had already been working with a group of activists, um, actually in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is just an hour north of um, Columbia, where this flag was on display. And um, we were trying to figure out: is there a way that we could get the flag down? Because part of what was just so offensive about it. You know, I told you about how they had changed this law in 2000. Well, right. after the the shootings, they lowered the United States flag to half staff and lowered the state flag of South Carolina, but kept the Confederate flag at the pole, at the top of the pole. Oh um, and so, so that was kind of like where we were just like, you know what, we can't wait on the state of South Carolina to do the right thing. Like this is the exact kind of situation where an act of civil disobedience is called for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it was actually, I had no experience like scaling a pole or anything like that. It was actually a Greenpeace activist who had, um, experience scaling trees, uh, and, you know, doing that type of protest who trained me over the course of like a day and a half oh, on, wow. you know, on this like So where did you do your pole. training? Uh, in Charlotte, actually, we were like driving around practicing on lampposts, you know, trying not to raise too much suspicion. Yeah, uh, you know, around what we were doing. Um, <laughs> so, and so we were just so people like, would be training. driving past a lamppost and you would just be like partway up it and you're just not, nothing to look at here. Move yeah, on, yeah. <laughs> just hoping nobody puts it, just hoping nobody makes the connection, you know? Wow. Talk about the, the nuts and bolts of how you do it. How do you climb a flagpole? So uh, it's really kind of like scaling up the pole. So you have like a, a tether, like you're you're tethered around the pole and connected at two points. And then on the bottom tether, there's like a little foot loop that I would stand into. So if you can imagine, uh-huh. like I would put my foot into that and kind of hoist myself up and then hoist the whole harness up and just oh. kind of like scale up that way. Yeah. Is it hard? Oh. Yeah, it's a little hard. It's a little difficult. The, the very first time I attempted it, I really wasn't sure I was going to be able to do it. Um, and so it was something that I, I really did kind of have to to work at. And part of what we practiced was, you know, me at least trying to get about eight feet off the ground before I even paused to kind of catch my breath, because we figured if I got that far up, it would be difficult for anybody to, you know, grab me uh, and yeah, try to pull me down. Because cops there aren't that tall. <laughs> no, no, they're not quite that tall. And in fact, um, they had built this tall, like four foot spoked fence around it, which actually ended up giving me another layer of protection because it wasn't easy for the cops to just kind of like, you know, hop over the fence and then grab And how me. did you get over the fence? 
Well, so the other person who was arrested alongside me was James Tyson. Um, he was one of the other people that was involved in this. And his role was to help me over the fence and then kind of be like the safety as I climbed. And so he was the one uh-huh. that, that helped me hop over. Do you think that as opposed to other types of civil disobedience, right? Do you think that the act of climbing was helpful because it gave you something to wrap your mind around? You know what I mean? So Absolutely. you were engaged in an act, in a physical right. If you had just lowered act. the flag, no one would have no one would have paid attention probably or not much Absolutely. attention. Absolutely. No, no, I think that's I think that's um exactly true. So like the reason that I had to scale the pole was just because of how it was designed. They had created it with like this internal pulley system so you couldn't just go up to it oh, and lower it. Wow. Oh, but wow. But the fact of me having to do that added another layer of power to the action because here you had a situation where the state was saying, oh, you know, we can't take it down for this reason and that reason. But then you have an individual who was like performing the labor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just like just like scaling it like, no, you actually can. And just it just highlighted in in a way like the ridiculousness of the whole situation. Right. Um, And it also became symbolic of just this long struggle, you know, to just like dismantle this this whole system of racism. Yeah, I have a a spontaneous and uncontrollable uh, big smile on my face as you're (laughs) describing it, because because you're right. It's it's like you picked the right venue, um, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's it's said more than the act. And, you know, it was it was a great choice. Uh, and we we also really wanted to draw a contrast with what had happened in Charleston, right? So in Charleston, yes. you had this white supremacist went into a church, shot unarmed people, ran away, like very cowardly kind of act. And here it was like in broad daylight, I'm prepared to be arrested. And that was part of what we wanted to communicate too. Like we're not afraid and we're not going to allow, you know, these acts of terror to, you know, deter us. Mm-hmm. What was it like up there at the top? Was that cool? Oh, man. Once I got up there and grabbed it, it was just kind of like, well, whatever happens from here, you know, because that was the goal. And we weren't even exactly sure how the flag was attached to the pole. That was the other thing we weren't exactly sure about. So I had like tools in my backpack with me just in case I had to do anything. But it was actually just, you know, latched on. And so once I got to the top and like, you know, unhooked it, that just felt like victory. And at that point, you know, I was ready to go to jail. I saw the backpack. I didn't realize there were tools in it. I thought it was in case you had to stay the night up there. (laughs) Um, But, you know, all right, this is going to sound really stupid, and I accept that. But, you know, (laughs) I just think your heart must have been coming out of your shirt because, like, when I was a kid and I would play kick the can, or if you're playing tag or something, right, and there's somebody trying to find you, trying to stop you, even though it's just a game your, you know, your heart would be pounding. And so I think, uh, I'm, well, I guess I'm asking you, with all that was riding on that act, um, what was it like? I definitely had an enormous amount of adrenaline, you know, like surging through my body, obviously. Um, but I was also hyper-focused. Like I, I actually had Another level of calm that's even like difficult for me to describe just because I've never experienced anything like that before or since. Uh Um, But I had really kind of like in the lead up 
to it and like, you know, preparing for it, had kind of like prepared for every, you know, possible scenario. And so by the time that I was like on the poll, I was kind of like at peace with all of that. So like, if you've seen the video, a lot of it is me like, you know, back and forth, really trying to keep the police calm. You know, I'm like, you know, I'm prepared to be arrested. You know, this is nonviolent. I'm going to get the flag and that's it. I'm going to come down because there was so much tension, you know, and obviously Uh I'm there with my backpack. I'm just trying to let everybody know, like, this is the extent of it. I'm just getting the flag and then I'm coming down and I'll surrender. I oh, wonder I what the police might have thought you also were going to do at the top of the flagpole. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I and we had thought through like a lot of different scenarios. Uh, we had even thought through like possibly setting the flag on fire. We thought through uh, replacing it with another flag. We decided to just keep it very simple and focused. Good you know, like just on the task of just like just bring it down um, so that we couldn't allow anybody to make it about anything else except the fact that the flag needed to come down. Smart. Yeah, really Tell us what happened when you came down. Well, when I came down, I mean, you know, of course I was arrested, you know, right away. Um, There were people who had kind of like gathered around at that point. They started, you know, applauding uh, what I had done. And then once they started leading me down, they have like a little like holding area uh, down there, the state Capitol Police. And as we were going down there, that was when the officer, you know, finally asked me, he was like, so why did you do that? It was kind of like, I could tell like, even for him, there was this moment of recognition of like, wow, like for you to risk, you know, as much as you did, um, he was really kind of moved, I think in that moment to, to really kind of like recognize and understand the significance of it. Wow. Yeah, because he might have been somewhat like me in that. It's like once you did it, I was like, oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Why didn't anybody ever do that before? But it never, never would have occurred to me. Um, And then once it was done, you were just so right. Yeah, I mean, it it really is. So I was arrested one time before that for protesting, and that was doing a sit-in over voting rights. And, you know, there, there's just something Boy, you're about, kind of a slacker, Brie. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but there is just something about, like, when you know in your heart that the law is unjust, you know, and that you're, you're taking a stand against something that, that is an, an injustice, it's just a different experience. So even I was sitting in jail for maybe like seven hours or so that day. But even there, it was like, I just felt this sense of freedom because I knew that I was standing on the right side of history in that case, you know, and huh. that it was the law itself that really needed to be held under scrutiny. Yeah. Wow. wow. It's fantastic. Well, as the the late, great John Lewis said, the scars and stains of racism are still deeply embedded in every corner of American society. We need to bring down the flag. And Bree, you did. Stay tuned to hear more from activist Bree Newsom-Bass. The Cat of the Week is Pinky from Bloomfield, New Jersey. Hey, Paula. You know, every once in a while we get a new advertiser that I get super excited about. And I have to say, just because of the circumstances of my life right now, I'm really excited about our new advertiser, Quince of Quince.com, the clothing provider. Not to be mistaken for Quince from Midsummer Night's Dream. And let me just say this, and maybe it's not important to an advertisement, but when I was in the fourth grade, our 
class put on a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. Okay. And I played I played Peter Quince. There. There's the connection. One of the mechanicals. That's a great connection. Also, yes, has nothing to do with this, which is that um, Quince is an online clothing store. And as you know, Paula, I've, uh, I've lost a little weight lately. Oh, right. 75 pounds. Yeah. So I literally have no clothes that are in my size until I just ordered some stuff at Quince. And I figured, like, here's a chance for me to create a new look for myself. A whole new image. And how's it going? Not bad. I mean, the clothes are fantastic. I know that you ordered some too. What I got is I got yes. the Comfort Stretch Traveler five pocket pants. And I got oh. the, um, oh, it's so, and I got the 100% European linen shirt and it looks breezy and it fits beautifully. And these are like premium pieces of clothing that are selling for like, you know, $30 a piece or starting at $30 at quince.com. It's awesome. I look good. I ordered the brushed lounge jogger Ooh. and you know i put them on when i came back from new york i pulled them on and i i swear to you okay this is not scientific because i was tired already right but they were so soft <laughs> and, and so comfortable that honestly like right as i got them up to my waist i i, I think my eyes closed they're so it's a softness it's a kind of softness that I don't think I've ever experienced in a garment, honestly. You know, my uh, drawstring European linen trousers are a little bit like that, too. Like, so comfortable that I just want to hang out with myself. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're European. Keep that in mind. They're oh, European. they are so European. And you can get those kinds. You can get washable silk tops. You can get uh, 14 karat gold jewelry and like all these accessories. When sells a lineup of timeless pieces that keep their customers looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm not certain that I look chic, but certainly if I did, it's not going to take a lot of effort. I now look chic and I feel pretty great. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabric. It's all good as far as I can see. Is it my imagination or do they cut out the middleman? They cut out the middleman, Paula Poundstone. I love it when they cut out the middleman. That's the thing, they cut out the middleman. <laughs> That's fantastic. So be like me and Paula. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash nobody for free shipping on your order and a 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash nobody to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash nobody. Nobody. And honestly, I look fantastic. Paula, you won't be able to keep your hands off me. Oh, I can't wait. And don't <laughs> think that if you had to return something, don't think you're sending it to a middleman because they cut out the middleman. They man. cut out the middleman. That's quince.com slash nobody. And if you're going to do it anyway, use our code. And we're back with Bree Newsom Bass. So, hey, Bree. Yes. So now, now the flag's down, and there's obviously much, much, much more work uh, to be done. So what are you working on now? Um, I'm really focused on housing rights, actually. Um, I, I'm working at, like, the hyper grassroots local level in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, but, of course, housing is a national issue. It is um, something that was a crisis even before the pandemic, yeah. um, as many people are aware. And now it has just exploded. Um, into the, the an unprecedented looming, crisis. Yeah, Absolutely. there's that looming eviction crisis that's only going to get worse. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And so I'm I'm just focused on that for a, a number of reasons. One, um, I do believe that housing is a human right. It is just one of the most basic things that you need in order to survive as a human being. And I also truly believe that if we address the issue of housing, if we could, um, you know, get to a point where we have guaranteed housing for everyone. So even like the poorest of the poor among us have safe, stable housing. I, I just think that it would go leagues in terms of uh, addressing poverty in this country, Mm -hmm. um, and just a host of other issues. I totally agree with you. And uh, like, what are your day-to-day steps uh, working on on this? So one of the things that we're trying to do is just to build power, right, um, among the people, because when you're talking about housing rights, you are going up against some of the most organized, powerful entities uh, in the country, right? Housing is, it's an industry. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, you know, it's, it's the bank's it's the developers, um, you know, it's the city planners, um, you know, p- people have their eyes on on land and real estate and making money. Um, mm-hmm. And they're not necessarily thinking about humanity and, you know, and human rights and dignity and just the things that people need um, in order to survive. And so um, what I'm trying to do right now specifically is um, just build a strong coalition among mm-hmm. the various like, you know, neighborhoods and um, and communities that are impacted by this issue, because it's it's one of these things things that uh, we just simply can't fight on our own. You know, you mentioned before, we've got this looming eviction crisis. So I think we have a, we have millions of people now who are in the same boat. Um, mm-hmm. Fighting eviction on your own is a very difficult thing, right? But if we were all to work together, we might be able to prevent eviction for everyone. Yeah. That's a, um, that's a powerful bunch of things you're fighting against. I mean, another thing that, that lots of people never learned about America is that when we started out, a lot of states only let you vote if you were a landowner. Right. I mean, this prop, the property ownership thing has been a, a sort of an undemocratic dividing line for the longest time. Absolutely. And and it, if you pay attention to how it still operates today, we still tend to dehumanize and criminalize people simply for not having a home. So so the system will force you out of, you know, stable housing, and then you're criminalized for simply being on the street and having nowhere to go, you know, uh, which just further dehumanizes people. And it all ties back to exactly what you're talking about, this idea that if you don't own land, you are a nobody. It seems so big, you know, um, I guess you got to do it sort of the way you climb the pole, you know, move up a little bit and then push the clamp onto the pole and then move up a little bit more. Because don't you get up in the morning and just feel like, oh, my gosh, this is this is how do you get bites out of this problem? How do you how do you make inroads, you know, to where you feel like you're making progress? Oh, definitely. I mean, it can it can feel very overwhelming, like just the the scope and the scale of the problems. The thing that keeps me encouraged, though, is just my awareness that I'm not the only person, you know, who who is who is you know fighting this fight. Um, and it didn't begin, you know, this year. It didn't begin with me. Um, I think it's significant that you know housing was one of the major things that Martin Luther King was looking towards, um, you know, right before he was assassinated, uh, and in, in terms of trying to address the whole issue of poverty, um, mm-hmm. you know, was looking at housing. So I really do think that if you look at history, there is this pattern of people kind of like pushing and fighting and pushing and fighting for an extended period of time, and then we'll have these watershed breakthrough moments. You know, and I mean, I, I look at the the issue of the monuments kind of in that way, you know, um, now they're just like coming down everywhere, you know, and sometimes it's like that. And I really do think there is the possibility 
that this kind of combination of the pandemic and the economic crisis and the housing crisis will possibly be a watershed moment where people realize, you know what, housing, it's not even just an economic issue. It's a public health issue. You know, like, like right. here we are at this moment where folks are like, you've got to stay home and shelter in place, but people don't have shelter. Um, right. So, you know, maybe this will be a, a watershed moment where there is kind of like this breakthrough and like, you know what, we need to guarantee housing for everybody. That should be something that everybody has. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely happening right now with the monuments. And I think that is kind of an amazing moment where where a lot of people and in particular, a lot of white people have suddenly been woken up to look at these monuments and say, hey, yeah, why are those things there? Because, mm-hmm. you know, one of the I guess one of the hallmarks of white privilege is just never having to think about those things. Yeah. What do you think has brought that on? And and you want to talk about the way that um, mainstream white supremacy is still operating amongst us? Yeah, definitely. Like, I think that there tends to be this assumption that white supremacy looks like, you know, the Ku Klux Klan or, you know, Hitler and the Nazis. And like that, that's, you know, that defines white supremacy. So a lot of people are like, oh, well, if I'm not, you know, in the Ku Klux Klan or I'm not a Nazi, it's not white supremacy. And it's really important to understand it is an ideology, like, and it's so baked into everything, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. part of the reason why people don't have to be aware of it is because it is so baked into everything. But the whole ideology behind, like, the building of America, expanding West, displacing Native people from their lands, was this belief that, you know, white people are destined to dominate the world, to, you know, rule over people. And even though So most people, if you were to say it to them in that way, they'd say, oh, no, like, you know, Mm -hmm. that sounds horrible. You know, I don't agree with that. Okay, but then when you look at the systems, like the systems were designed originally to create that outcome. So even if you personally don't subscribe to that view, the reason why we see, you know, racial disparities in policing and housing and education and and all of these things um, is because the systems and laws were designed that way for centuries. I just have Um, to correct you, Brie. Bill Barr says that's not the case. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. Oh, yes, you're right. Yeah. All right. So, he says no. He sorry, says sorry, no Bree. That. That, so that answer was wrong, and uh, you won't be winning our prize. But we do thank you for playing today on Nobody Listens. Uh, yeah, I have to confess that Adam's description of white people um, really nails me, which is, again, very much like the flag. It's, I, I don't know, am I busy? I, I never looked at them. I never really thought about them. You know, I mean, if somebody says Robert E. Lee, okay, I know who that is. But I didn't ever question why he was, you know, in, for example, there's a big monument area in Richmond, Virginia, and I've seen him there. And I never once said to myself, boy, that shouldn't be. And very much like you're describing, I, you know, if somebody said to me, well, should we take someone that went to war on the side of slavery and and was a traitor? Should that person be in a statue? I would have said no. But once it was already up and running, it didn't occur to me to go like, boy, you know, let's decapitate that statue. (laughs) Right. Yeah, there's there's just been so much historical revisionism, especially around the Civil War, um, you know, like in in the past century or so. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just there really hasn't been a lot of room for it to be challenged until very recently, you know, especially like in the mainstream Mm -hmm. um, for for it to really be challenged. So I, I think that's what's happening now. Yeah. Anyways, 
I am guilty on all counts of of having ignored those things. So, Bree, um, now you're doing documentary work as well. Yes. So, um, you know, I told you about like the work that I'm doing in Charlotte uh, around the housing crisis and all of that. So I'm yes. just documenting that work. You know, I, so my my. Um, background and training is actually in filmmaking. I got my degree in filmmaking from NYU and was really kind of focused on trying to pursue a career in that uh-huh. in, in like 2012, 2013, when everything started happening with like Trayvon Martin, and all this. And so I just like jumped into that feet first. And now I'm really looking at the importance of, of documenting things more. Like I, I really had not been doing that. Um, and so I'm just, I'm really now looking at like, how can we use the power of, of telling our own narratives um, to really like make this visible? Because part of what is just amazing to me is how many people are impacted by the housing crisis, but how we are still struggling to make that visible <laughs> in a lot yeah, of ways, right. you know, yeah. uh, um, in the mainstream. Yeah. Well, that um, seems to be something that, that that is at the heart of a lot of the work that you do, which is making what should be visible, visible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. When absolutely. in your life, Bree, did you know that you that you could do that and that you had to do that? Oh, gosh. I don't know. You know, so... In, in 2013, what what hit me was like a combination of things. It was the verdict in the Trayvon Martin case and just the way that that whole thing played out, which to mm-hmm. me really was kind of like a modern day Emmett Till um, right. in a lot of ways. And then the attack on voting rights was just mind blowing mm-hmm. to me um, because in that year we had the Supreme Court uh, basically gut the Voting Rights Act. And then in North Carolina, they passed this monster voter suppression bill. Mm-hmm. And it just for me really caused me to question how much I had taken things for granted. You know, like I told you, I grew up with my grandmother, you know, telling me these stories of the past, but I really sure. saw it kind of as the past, you know, it was like, mm-hmm. oh gosh, like, you know, we've come a long way since then. And, you know, now what I can do is just be the best me that I can be, right. You know, try to make some kind of contribution. Um, but to me, it felt like a crisis. And I mean, I feel like we're still in this crisis very much so with the Trump administration, where it's like, there's just this concerted effort to take us as far back as possible to, you know, erase whatever progress we have made. Um, and so I think I just realized how much was at stake for me, you know, and for everybody that that has come after me. And that for me was like a just a, a point of change where I went from being like just kind of focused on myself and my career pursuits to focus on like, what am I really doing that is of social value, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel small in your presence. Um, I... <laughs> I'm a great admirer. And, oh, I appreciate uh, it. No, I, I, really, I, I, I appreciate your work. I can't say that I'm the most woke person in the world, but um, I, I'm probably a little groggy still. But but you, but you've gone a long ways to towards waking me up. <laughs> Bree, let me let me ask you just one more question. Uh, bringing down that flag was bringing down a very important symbol to bring down, and now you're working mm-hmm. on something that that's a much more fundamental and tactile issue. Do you want to talk for a second about what you the relative importance of getting rid of the symbols of this stuff and getting rid of the stuff itself? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that. 
the the battle over symbols is important. And if it weren't, we wouldn't get so much resistance, right? right. From from the people who are trying to keep it in place. <laughs> because yes. it, yeah. it really is kind of like it, it is like uh um it's representative of an ideology, you know? And so like in my view, I don't see a future in America where we have resolved uh, issues of racism and we still have monuments to the Confederacy, right? So right. Yeah. the fact that they're coming down is a is a good step. Um, at the same time, we want to be really careful that we don't just engage in like symbolic and surface level measures. So we don't want to like take everything down and then say, oh, okay, we've solved all the issues. You know, racism is is done with. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that that's the deeper, harder work. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, thanks to Bree, we've learned how to climb up the flagpole of activism and fly a flag of hope. And now we're going to take that information and run it through the old pounce-donator. Paula? Sophie, if I can get a little background music from out there in Iowa City, that'd be great. Oh, nice. Bree Newsome Bass is a hero, and I'm so glad she joined us. I'll tell you, I've got to read more history. It's only here and within the last year or two that I learned that many symbols of oppression are symbols of oppression. And like the Confederate flag and the statues of Confederate soldiers were put up long after the Civil War for just that purpose. There's so much I never noticed. I I never really thought about Aunt Jemima. I just poured it on my pancakes and then felt bloated after a stack expanded in my stomach. I I never thought about Uncle Ben's. I realize now I have to ask more people, what's that like for you? I mean, I would hope that if there was we're better than you beans, or you can't live here grass seed, or jails are full of them jelly, or I didn't know it was a cell phone shampoo, I would have noticed. I hope I would have noticed. I could have gone my whole life not noticing, but young heroes took to the streets. Young men who became old congressmen were jailed 40 times, and Bree Newsom Bass climbed a flagpole and took down the Confederate flag. Thank you to all of you. She is an activist, filmmaker, musician, and an advocate for housing rights. Thank you for being on our show, Bree Newsom Bass. Thank you for having me. Coming up. We have a beachhead on the minor outlying islands, whatever those are. One listener constitutes a beachhead, doesn't it? Anyway, Tony Anita Hull takes us on a tour of Jarvis, Baker, Howland, and all the great outlying islands. That's coming up after this. Fun fact, the ancient Greeks believed that redheads transform into vampires when they die. And anyone who doesn't believe that clearly didn't go to high school with Cindy Goldfarb. It still hurts, Cindy. It still hurts. And we're back. Yeah. French Trump has his own satirical presidential press conference mini podcast that drops every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific time. And you can listen at paulapoundstone.com, right right here, where you get your podcasts. Satirical? It is not satirical. It is uh, French Trump taking questions from the press. 
There's something we didn't remember that show we did about getting the things we hadn't gotten to. Yes, during the stay at home order during COVID, we were going to get so many things done. Right. Well, on that show that we were getting the things that we hadn't gotten to, um, because we spent so much time enjoying Bonnie Burns's debut uh, of her spinoff podcast, we didn't get to um, Tony Anita Hull on the topic of our popularity in the minor outlying islands. Well, I'm just hoping there's a way we can correct that. Well, we can, because we've got Tony here. <laughs> she has donned her her ceremonial peplos of internationalism. And Tony, how many listeners do we have in Baker Island, Howland Island, Jarvis Island, the Johnson Atoll, Kingman Reef, Midway Atoll, Palmyra Atoll, Wake Island, and Navassa Island? We have one listener. <laughs> wow. We are kicking ass in the Alpine wow. Islands. I never heard of one of these islands, which is probably, even if we have two listeners, this is going to turn at least one of them against us. I never right. heard of these islands. So, okay, so it's not that bad. There's um, only 400 people, and none of them are actually permanent residents of the minor outlying islands. What? Oh, then we're doing very well. Yeah, exactly. That's 0.0025% of the people there are our listener. Wait, 0.0025%? Yes. Okay, isn't that more than um, what the MIT study found in an election fraud through vote by mail? Sure. Yeah. Sounds <laughs> well about done, right. Tony. Well fielded. Um, All right, well, now... <laughs> Look, so so Tony, you're saying there's no permanent residents on these like 15 islands or whatever? No, there aren't. So uh, in 1936, a colonization program began to settle Americans on Baker, Howland, and Jarvis, but all three islands were evacuated in 1942 as a result of World War II. Okay. So on Palmyra, there are actually four to 25 people who live there, but they're non-occupants. And it's a temporary population because most of them are scientists and U.S. government employees. Now, where is, where is, uh, would you say Palmyra? Palmyra. So all of them uh, are in the Pacific Ocean, except for one. It's a big place, Tony. I know. It's, it, they, they lie, I feel like they're closer to kind of, the Australia-Asia side of Pacific Ocean when I looked at a map. But don't quote me on that. So you're uh, saying South Pacific. South Pacific, like the musical, yes. Um, so except for... I'm gonna wash that hair. Right, right out of my right hair. out of my hair. Um, is that from South Pacific? I guess it is. That is from South Pacific, yes. It's not a very South Pacific-y sounding tune. It's not, but... It is after the colonization. Oh, yes. Definitely. All right, so, Tony, go go on. You, okay, you... so only one of the islands is in the Caribbean Sea, which is Navassa Island. So seven of them are in the Pacific. This one's just floating on the Caribbean Sea. Now, the interesting thing Wait is... Wait a minute. Why? 
That's just why not- would you include an why would you include an island from the other part of the world in your is there some kind of political designation that makes them an outer outlying island? So that's interesting. So first of all, they're given that designation by the International Organization for Standardization's ISO 3166-1 code. Which is basically Wait, you know, what, what, Tony, you're t- <laughs> you're telling us shit we already know. Honestly. <laughs> Can, can, can you expand this to stuff that like anybody on the street wouldn't know? Yeah. All right, what is that code? What does that code mean? Sure. So that that entity defines codes for names of countries, dependent territories, and special areas of geographical interest. So the actual abbreviation for the U.S. minor outlying islands is U.M. Just so you United know. Minor. Sure. Absolutely. What does it mean? Um, United Minor? Is that what it means? I actually didn't. I didn't find out what it means, but I'll take that explanation. Okay. Um, so all of them. Except- you know what? There's only one way to know for sure. Call it and see if it comes. <laughs> right. That took me a second. Although, it, I mean, it's probably confused, poor thing, because you're trying to remember its name and you say its name. Um. You go, you go, um, <laughs> and it's like, what? It's um, no, wait, what? Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Tony. Because it's, uh, it's wow. Right. I, I got it. Right, yeah. So this is what I think is the, one of the most interesting things. I like to just railroad Tony, over everyone Tony, to get through. Tony, this. do you do you want to write down on your list of difficult things to say to Adam? Because you just crossed <laughs> that one off. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah. Passive aggressively torpedoing my joke. Done. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mean to passively aggressive tor. Torpedo it. No, what? you should have aggressively aggressive. It was a terrible joke. Come on. Uh, so, except for... Pal- go on, go on. Straighten uh, up that peplos. Here we go. Except for Palmyra, all of these islands are unincorporated and unorganized territories of the U.S. But Palmyra, interesting enough, is an incorporated territory, but yet it's an unorganized territory. So the only relevant... Well, that's just the U.S. I mean, you should see my pantry. Uh, and and my desk, uh, they're unorganized territories. Um, so, uh, does anybody know what that means? So, unorganized and un. So when I hope Tony does. So when you're, I knew no, you were going to ask. So I definitely googled it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. So uh, when you're unorganized, there's no act of Congress specifying how you should be governed. And what? Oh. So here's the th- this is the weird thing about Palmyra. So it's the only relevant federal law simply gives the president the authority to administer Palmyra as directed or via the United States District Court for the District of Hawaii. So Wait, what? So uh, I mean, so they, they're beholden to Hawaii? Isn't yeah? I thought that was as really though the Palmyrans are nothing are, are are just Hawaiian. What a that's a vile calumny. It is. It's a vile calumny. It's incommodious. Um, Thank you, Mrs. Okay. Culpepper. What I'm not <laughs> hearing here, Tony, is how do we force more of them to <laughs> to be to be nobodies. That's. Uh, I think we need to reach the science population because a lot of scientists live there and military population. Huh. So there are 315 on Johnston Atoll, 
as of 2000 and 94 people on Wake Island as of 2000. And most of them are military. Uh, they have a lot of reefs and things, so uh, it's protected because of its uh, biodiversity. So, Tony, what you're saying is at most we could get a thousand new listeners out of this dump. <laughs> I think one of them should contact us. Yeah, listen, if you're on any one of the outlying islands, you know, just kind of reach out to us, please. Just tell us why well, it you sounds love like our we show. Only, I, I, don't, I don't know why we're putting it out to all the islands when we only have one listener there. Yeah, but what island is I the I think we need to at? talk to that one listener. Well, I, Bonnie, you're right. the one who told us we had one listener, so I don't Wait, know which island. No, but I oh, thought it would be interesting that came from you, Bonnie? to find out what the place is like, because who's ever heard of it? How do you know that's not where Doug went? And he is at Mer- Oh, well, we found the. Oh, Doug. Dun, dun, Wait, dun. Dun, no, Doug. What do you well, mean where we have Doug Doug's went? Corpse. Well, okay, we found the corpse. Bonnie, okay, Doug was found, we found dead. The corpse. That's a- true. Yeah, there wasn't Are a Are you big trying to spread some kind of corpse? But something yeah. could be there in this murder mystery. So also, Maybe honestly, that's where the murderer is. The murderer or Thomas Coyne could have escaped. Since she's been a person of interest, she is really trying to deflect onto the minor outlying islands. Attention. Well, the reason is, Paul, is because, as our listeners know, our intern, Doug, was found brutally murdered. And in the interim, we have discovered that Doug's last name was, in fact, Burns. So it would make sense that a suspect might want to deflect attention. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Hey, Adam. Yeah. Um, uh, what? Answer, answer the phone. Really? I feel like we've done yeah, enough this week. F- okay, okay. Yeah, answer the phone. All right. Hello? Uh, 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 Adam? Uh, yes? Uh, 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 am I the hundredth caller? Uh, no, whoever you are, uh, you're caller number 85. Thank you for calling. I knew it. I knew <laughs> oh, it. no. It's me, Cher Eva. The psychic. Uh, yes, I am. A, I've been getting you're a pet psychic. I've been getting such strong vibrations from you, Adam. I called to tell you that you are going to be very skeptical soon. I just, I, I, I can feel it, and you will not believe what you are hearing. I just feel that very strongful. It's a, it, it, it's a powerful, powerful feeling, Adam. Well, I find that hard to believe, Cher. Oh wait. Wow, you're yes, right. Yes, do you see? I was right you then feeling skeptical it. of your statement. I knew statement. it, Adam. Wow. Uh, it's, it feels so good to, to, to tell you uh, uh-huh. because it's such a, a powerful feeling. And I knew I, I knew I was right. I knew it. Well, I'm going to okay. call back and try to be the 100th caller. Okay, Shariva. I-, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> Uh, all right, that was Shariva, everybody, Adam, on our 100th caller contest. Uh, what, Paul? The craziest thing happened. A yes. masked woman rang my doorbell, and she told me that she was walking by my house and noticed what looked like a painting behind my books. What? Because I, I have, like, a big front window, you know, and it must have been the evening and the lights were on, and and... She saw what she thought looked like a painting behind my books, and she came into the house. We looked more carefully, and there was a painting. 
behind the books. My, it's a mess in there. Um, wow. Well, that's surprising, Paula. What was the painting? It was of? so surprising. It was um, when we pulled it out. It, it at first I thought it was the Mona Lisa, honestly, because it looked a lot like the Mona Lisa by Leonardo da Vinci, you know. Um, but it turned out it appears to be by da Vinci, but it's the Mona Lisa. <laughs> um, she doesn't have like that slight smile that is so talked about in that painting. Um, instead, um, she looks like she's in a little bit of pain. Um, so it's the Mona Lisa. And uh, yeah. isn't that amazing? So I've been so worried about money, and then a discovery like this gets made. Um, right. Yeah. So, I, I don't know that there's I, a big market for a Mona Lisa in pain unless it's, um, you know, really no, a Da Vinci, it's a, which... it's Oh, it's a Da Vinci. Yeah. How do you know? Uh, because the, she's an appraiser, the woman who came in. Um, it's uh, Miss Penelope Vanderbottom. And, Penelope um, Vanderbottom. Mm-hmm. Wait, of 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 the Venice Vandabottoms? Uh, I didn't ask her her background. I just know that okay. she is uh, an art appraiser. Okay. And, uh, so you also, have a Da Vinci um, in your house in Santa yes, Monica. Yes, this is what I'm telling you. It's been so hard to keep the secret until now, but I just, I really thought with our wow. slow build in the outlying islands this, uh, that I, sh- you know. yeah. If we're depending on this podcast to save us financially, we are fucked. But yeah. now, now I have um, put that on your list, Bonnie, to talk to me about. But put um, wait but on now, a list. You know, oh. I want her to put the fact that we're not making any money on the podcast. She should put that on her oh, list. I, of things I, I that was are thinking that maybe difficult. "fucked" was one of our vocabulary words, but it's not. No, no, oh no, okay. no, no. Put it on her okay. list of difficult things. To talk to, to say me to you, about, yeah, of um, course, of course. Adam, Adam, answer the phone. Answer, answer really? the phone. I yeah. just want to talk to Tony about the out. Okay, hello, Adam. It's me, yes. Miss Penelope Vanderbottom. <laughs> Miss Poundstone has some fabulous pieces of art in her home. Miss Penelope Vanderbottom. Yes. I'm an well, art s- appraiser, and I'm I'm a bit of a detective. <laughs> <laughs> detective. I found, I found the Da Vinci behind some books that clearly Miss Poundstone doesn't read, uh, and I found the uh, the uh, Mona Lisa by Da uh-huh. Vinci. She also has a construction paper snowman that may be an El Gecko. An El Gecko? <laughs> Not an El Greco? Oh, no. No, he does mostly cloudy skies in Spain. This is a snowman. <laughs> wow. No, this it's is a... Uh, it's a construction paper snowman that is potentially an El Gecko. Um, El gecko, which I believe means the lizard, doesn't it? It can. Uh, you know, Miss Vanderbottom, I-, I have to say, I- I'm fairly certain that was done by my son in the third grade. Uh, the snowman, the construction paper snowman. Oh, yeah, that would make um, sense. Oh, I could have sworn. I could have sworn it was an El gecko. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, Ms. Vanderbottom, if you if you mistook a, a, a seven-year-old's drawing for a, for an El Gecko, I'm not sure about the veracity of your Da Vinci claim on the Mona Lisa. No, it wasn't. It's not a drawing, Adam. It's a construction paper snowman. You thought it was a drawing. <laughs> no. Okay. No, okay. not not a drawing. Not at all. No, it could be. Uh, no. No, well, I, I'm, uh, I'm fairly certain it is an El Gecko, not as valuable as a Da Vinci. Probably uh, not, because uh, no. nobody's ever heard of El Gecko. No, I've I've heard of El Gecko, Adam. That I Many. have not. Oh well, <laughs> what difference does that make? Um, oh, uh, touche. She... I do not know a lot about the art world. No, clearly. Oh, you don't even have to say that to me. I knew you didn't know a lot about the art world. I mean, you didn't even respond with any kind of excitement when it turns out Miss Poundstone has a Leonardo da Vinci behind her books. Well, I, I just doubt the veracity of that claim, I think, Miss Vanderbottom. The what? The veracity of that claim. I doubt that that's a real Da Vinci discovered in Santa Monica, California in 2020. That sounds implausible to me. And that he would have painted another painting of the same model, but without the smile. It just seems unlikely. Well, the thing about the Mona Lisa that a lot of people who are not familiar with the art world don't know, and that would be you, Adam. (laughs) Um, A lot of people in the art world don't realize that the Mona Lisa didn't always have that look on her face. There was, in fact, at least... She didn't always have that look on her face that Leonardo da Vinci captured in the famous uh, Mona Lisa. Uh, but he also captured another aspect of the model in the Mona Lisa, which is very, How is that very spelled? M-O-A-N-A. Okay. Like Moana. What do you mean? Well, there's a famous Disney movie uh, that came out a couple of years ago with um, songs by Lin Manuel Lin Manuel Miranda called Moana, and you're spelling the Moana Lisa the exact same way. Why are we taught? You can tell you don't know anything about the art world. Why are we talking about Disney? <laughs> I'm talking about Leonardo da Vinci, and you're bringing up Mickey Mouse. <laughs> I don't even know why I'm talking to you at all. Um, well, I, I, Ms. Vanderbottom, I do, I do thank you for calling in. Well, I'm calling from Palmyra, where you have one fan. <laughs> Are you our Palmyra fan? Oh, I was kidding you. I was kidding you. I wouldn't be in Palmyra. There's no art there. <laughs> all right, I have wow. to go, Adam. It's been, well, well not really informative talking to you. <laughs> but fun, fun. Yeah, fun indeed. Thank you, Ms. Vanderbottom. <laughs> Good talking to you, 86. Adam. Take okay, care. goodbye. Take care. So do you see, Adam? I'm going to have a lot of money when I sell the Mona Lisa. I wouldn't I wouldn't bank on the veracity of Ms. Vanderbottom's claims, Paula, just personally. 
She seemed pretty committed to the idea. Uh, and I, I am not an appraiser, but that sure did look like uh, Da Vinci to me. I couldn't believe it was just behind the books wow. there. Um, wow. All right. So, Tony, are we done with the outer outlying islands? I have good news. I made a mistake in my math. The one listener yes. oh. is 0.25%, not 0.0025. Wow. That's the, so that's good news. You know what? It's... Just, it's what Seth Godin said, you know, just keep being peculiar and it your peculiar. numbers will rise. Wow. So I love it. If you're, if you're a scientist out on the Johnson Atoll and you're tuned in, uh, you know, you could uh, help our us grow 100%. So um, speaking of growth, Paula, how's the Poundstone store doing? It's blowing up, Adam. My store is at paulapoundstone.com. You can get Poundstone pussy pillows there. Um, okay, they are uh, a four by five pillow of uh, catnip, and on one side there's a, a cat joke, and on the other side, I'm happy to autograph it to your cat. When you order it, there's a place, and I apologize for uh, having to fill out an online form, which is a horrible experience, but there is a place where you fill in the name of your cat, and I will autograph it to your cat. And I also have a series of comedy videos that I made, especially to help get people through the COVID-19 depression. They're called RX Laughter Videos. Click on the tab that says RX Laughter Videos. You'll find them. Um, And there's something else new that's not available on my website, which is I'm doing cameo videos now. So if you would like me to send a video message to someone that you know, you can go to cameo.com slash Paula P33. That's cameo.com slash Paula P33. Well, Paula, I've got something I'm really excited about to announce. This is something I've been cooking up with the people at uh, Starburns Audio and and my good friend and yours, the hilarious comedian Jeff Cesario. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the Starburn Sports Sunday simulcast. Okay, what this is, um, is on Sunday, this Sunday and many Sundays thereafter, you turn on the TV to ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, and then on your computer or on your phone, you navigate over to us to the sports simulcast. What you do is you turn down the volume on ESPN, you turn us up, and me and Jeff Cesario and some of our funny, funny celebrity guests will be announcing an entire baseball game and making you laugh, hopefully. Uh, We've had Alonzo Bowden sitting in. He says he'll come back, uh, so he might be here this Sunday. The game this Sunday is going to be Yankees-Red Sox. So what you're going to do is you're going to go to ESPN on Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, turn on ESPN, watch the game, turn down your volume, and then on YouTube, navigate over to Starburns Audio on YouTube or look for the link at my Twitter feed. That's at Adam Felber at Twitter. Hopefully we'll make everybody laugh. I'm super excited about it if uh, if that's not already showing up in my voice. That's the Starburns Sports Sunday simulcast uh, just coming up this week. And, you know, to segue, Paula, we want to hear from you nobodies out there. Remember, if you want to enter the vocabulary contest, which happened tonight, Send your list of the vocabulary words you heard during this episode to nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. Once again, that's nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. But for that one, please use the subject line vocabulary contest to make sure that we see it. Otherwise, we might think you're submitting a theme song or a uh, pithy show description. Oh my God. You know, we ask so much of our listeners. Um, 
The other yeah. thing is, if if you could make uh, for me a sandwich and deliver it, uh, go to Paula. Don't deliver Paula sandwiches. No. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, hey, by the way, you guys, you can find me and Adam on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're all over the place. And check out our Facebook page at Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. That's our show. Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone is hosted by Paula Poundstone and yours truly, Adam Felber. Special thanks to our guest, Bree Newsom Bass, and thanks to house band Sophie Taft Lehman. Our show is produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie Burns, Ken Lezebnik, and Tony Anita Hull. Mixing by Michael Hoagie, Starburns production by Land Romo, and thanks once more to the family and friends of our former intern, Doug. May you rest in peace. Technical direction by Jessica Gutierrez. Transcription services for the show provided by TranscribeMe, a premier internationally used transcription service. Use code Paula Poundstone when placing your order at transcribeme.com to receive an expedited service. That's our show for tonight. Won't somebody please listen to me? I think we used pretty much every vocabulary word we had, don't you, Paula? I, I, we used a lot of vocabulary words. Yeah, it was a, um, a galamorphy of vocabulary words. How many do you think it was? Do you think it was like 20? I, I don't know. I, you know, after, after a while, it started to stultify me. Yeah. So, so you don't think it was 20? Uh, no. I, well, I think it, it could be in the, in, the, um, in the neighborhood of 20. I mean... Look, I don't, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to weigh people down with our. Um... I think it was five. I think it was five. That's what I, I, five. I think it was. Yeah, I'm gonna go. Five. I'm gonna go with seven. I'm gonna go with seven. You think it's seven? We didn't use badinage. Well, now you did, Bonnie. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Let me just check my horologe. Fuck, we've been on God forever. Damn it, Bonnie. Paula, <laughs> your horologe? Yeah. Just checking my horologe. This is gonna make our our listeners' lives. Really, really awful. I never really got the one kiff. Well, don't say it. Then they'll have to list well, it. There you Look, go. Don't say anything that's not already in the Pentateuch. Okay, don't be in your... <laughs> Adam. That's a low blow, buddy. Starbanks Avenue. A podcast. <clears throat> a podcast network.